You are listening to the Motherhood Unstressed Podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so glad that you're here, as always, and I'm so excited to share this week's guest. I feel, well, I know I say that every single week, but it's true. I, I love every single guest that I have on this show. Every conversation changes me, improves my outlook on the world in some way, and to be able to scale that and share it with you, the listener, is everything. It's everything. So thank you for tuning in. My guest this week is supermodel Emmy. She was named in 2018 by Oprah Magazine as the godmother of the full-figured industry. She is globally recognized as an innovative social reformer for women's empowerment and positive body image. She's been twice selected to People Magazine's 50 Most Beautiful People and Ladies Home Journal's Most Important Women in America and one of the most fascinating women of the year. She's also been honored as one of Glamour's Magazine's Women of the Year and one of Biography Magazine's 25 Most Influential Women. In this episode, we discuss her passion for body inclusion in the fashion industry, what she's currently working on there, how self-confidence changes your reality and how to get it, the impact of social media and perfectionism on self-esteem, and what practice helped her the most with aligning with her true purpose. So I'm so excited to share this episode with you. Emmy brims with authenticity and wit and humor. And so, I mean, honestly, I felt like I was talking to an old friend and I'm thrilled to share this conversation with you so that you can feel that same feeling and go into your day with a little more confidence, a little more purpose and passion and understanding of not only how to get there, but then the drive to actually make it happen. So not only are you getting this information, you're putting it into practice. And isn't that the entire point of living a beautiful life, living a life that you can look back on and be proud of, that you really were there and present and joyous in those moments of day today. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode with the brilliant Emmy. Well, welcome to the show, Emmy. I'm so glad that you're here. Oh, Liz, I am so glad to join you this morning. Yeah. So take take our listeners back. How did you establish yourself as the godmother of the full-figured industry? <laughs> I just didn't stop talking about what felt right in my heart and many, many years. We're talking 89. I walked into the full-figured industry and fashion industry. And before that, I was a reporter for an NBC affiliate in Arizona. So my background has always been a curious one. And through starts and stops and with my own family history of dieting and the judgment of the body and that it's not, you can't control it and it's a wild beast um, I, I learned early on to distrust the natural rhythm of what my body was doing naturally. And unfortunate, I mean, it was unfortunate, but it was each little seed was planted for what the work I was going to do many years later. Um, I was an athlete. So one of the things that helped me through all of the, the ups and downs with the industry and being the first in um, selling lots and lots of clothes uh, because I'm very proportionate and there was something extra going on. I don't exactly know what it is, but any time that I worked with a very large company, I could wear almost anything and it was selling. Mm. So whatever secret sauce was going on, I had to keep working on my inner life and my inner light and figure out what that all was. Um, because anybody that you would say, 
I'm a full friggin' model. And they go, they look at you up and down and say, well, you don't really look big. And so I always had to figure out where did I stand on how I felt about how my body took space up in this world. So each and every time when there was a conflict or resistance, I would just take a breath and hold my own and try to communicate, not always, but try to communicate um, in a way that not only am I teaching in anger, there was a two-way street. And and I had a lot of uh, support from the media. So one thing led to the other, People Magazine twice for 50 Most Beautiful People and, and then different TV shows that I was hosting um, with companies that were looking, that were embracing a, a more inclusive beauty. And um, it just kept on rolling from there. And it was so nice that Oprah <laughs> gave me that that little title. It was very cute. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, for, coming from Oprah alone, I think anything that she touches turns to gold. But you had already established yourself through your energy, through your vibe. What was it about you that had that self-confidence? Because mo- 99% of women out there would have shrunk to the criticism, would have shrunk to the looks. When I look back on and continue, I'm very, very passionate still about the work that I'm doing and I'm getting into some really interesting projects around body image and self-esteem for multi-levels of generations. I, I just know that I walked in in a very odd way into my destiny and being a reporter and understanding how uh, what, what people are interested in, also learning how to listen, going through coaching. I just went through a whole year of coaching thought it was I needed it for something else mm. it's actually developing my listening skills and that intuition tapping right into the intuition so that you can hold the space of another and whether it's another an individual or it's millions of people listening and hearing and having that symbiotic relationship um, is vitally important and we all possess this we all possess an intuition um, and when we don't, when we don't walk around life from the neck up, and we disregard our body, when we yeah. connect the mind, the body, and the spirit together, my goodness, there's no stopping you. Yeah, and why do you think so many people don't realize this, don't accept this as reality, and when it could, it could propel their careers, it could propel their families, it could propel their happiness. How do you tap into that intuition? Because for someone listening to this, they're like, okay, that sounds great, but how do I do it? Well, I think you get to the bottom of your barrel when you say enough is enough. You can't get there when everything is great and you're on a yacht and you're going to all these different beautiful islands and life is really good. Now, that's the payoff and that's the thing. If that's one of your goals to go and do. But real change, real grappling with lions and tigers and bears is when nothing is going right. Um, When, you know, you're just... My mom passed away when I was 14. My stepfather had some real issues with my body and his body and most people's other body. And I had to get into therapy pretty quickly. Um, Once again, I'm saying (laughs) the athletics was the one thing that kept on telling me that my body was good, Mm. that that it was going to handle the kind of stress and strain 
that I was putting it towards. So it's, I almost say, find something that you're good at. It could be cooking. It could be, you know, parenting. You just have like a, a wand and the kids line up and you're like, we want to hear about that. Um, <laughs> oh, that doesn't yeah. exist. <laughs> I know, I know. But there are times that you see moms in the playground and you're like, how did you do it? So I learned from playgrounds, you know, observing in the playground when I saw a very self-assured mom and she was doing the one, two, three, and with a consequence that was minor, very tiny consequence, but the but children seemed to like her children seemed to like fall into line. And I went and looked up what is one, two, three for kids. And that was like the biggest tip that I've ever observed and saw. And I thanked her. I said, man, I don't know what it shows. It's self-confidence. All it mm. is is self-confidence. So she would say, please do not do this. Um, if you do it, this will happen. And I will count you down so that if you get to three, it's all over. And she did the, she wasn't constantly do it, but when yeah. she did do it, she did it with such confidence. She believed in her kids that if they had a good day, if the stars aligned, that they would listen and then they would get rewards, not food, uh, candy or anything like that, but rewards with, with, praise that was appropriate for listening and thinking about choices and I was like well isn't it true that if we find confidence and we realize that we get ourselves out of the ashes well then you can do it over and you can do it over and over and the practice that helped me the most with with staying aligned and and tapping into the intuition is learning when I got out of cancer uh, treatments and all in 2007, how to meditate, mm. slow it all down. Mm -hmm. It was like grappling with a horse, that, a little filly that had so much energy. And my friends were like, who were meditators? You got to do it because it's going to settle everything down so that you can manage a new life. I asked for a divorce in my second round of chemo. So all this, mm. all this stuff. And you find yourself. You have to get down and dirty. I, I, I mean, listen, if there's someone that can really learn all these lessons when everything is going great, then they're a highly evolved soul that has come onto this earth. And man, we want to, you know, this is great. Um, but it seems like you, you, you learn about yourself and then you then reflect that out to the world. Yeah. It's yeah. like you heal yourself and then you can bring that to others, but you have to go inward first. You can't talk about something you don't know. Yeah. Do you remember the first time that it clicked for you, like in meditation, where you weren't fighting the Philly, you were actually there, present, and you felt that space? Do you remember? Uh, well, yes, I actually, um, it was in yoga. Uh, I never, uh, I think it was the first time I ever did yoga. And I had like this thing that happened and it was um, during meditation and I went away and I couldn't believe, I just didn't understand. My God, does this happen every single time? <sighs> and uh, I, it doesn't, it does not happen, but it intrigued me so much that I kept on sitting and I knew that I can't get there if it's five minutes or 10 minutes, 20 minutes is almost like when you're in the sweet nectar of a great meditation and okay, I have, you know, more than 20 minutes on a regular basis is really hard for your life if you're, you know, 
If you can put 20 minutes in, that's great. I even tell people, if you can get yourself started with five minutes, do it. But try and get yourself to that 20. And then on the weekends, I'm like, let me see what I can do with an hour. When you can tell everybody in your life, you know, mom is meditating. This is my time. And when I give to myself, what happens with everyone else? You get more. When I don't get to give to myself, y'all get a cranky mama. Right. <laughs> no one wants that. You know, right. the best for mom. And and um, and when moms put their foot down and in, in a way that's goddess-like, like the goddess is in and with confidence, and they then realize respect. And there's something beautiful that goes on because you're teaching always right. about modeling. Habit. Modeling, yeah, you're you're modeling appropriate behavior for themselves. And you know, you might see your little one practicing on their own and and it's the, the sweetest thing. Um, but trying to get kids to meditate is, you know, they if you're doing it, it's gonna be easier. For sure. For sure. Really, my God. Well, the biggest thing for me is if I start to get riled up over something, you know, someone tracked in mud or whatever, my youngest will say, mom, just take some deep breaths right now. It's okay. <laughs> and so they like use your words against you, but it's, it's for the best thing ever. You know, like I appreciate that because it like takes me out of my own head and I'm like, you're so right. Like I needed that. It's funny, right? You little shit. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. But the teacher I find, um, I find the child has incredible notes of wisdom. Yeah. Um, and it's, I never was taught that as a kid, you know, that I had the notes of wisdom. In fact, I was made fun of for my philosophy and I was very curious as a kid. I mean, really, I was in my head all the time and I just felt things that were different. A lot of people weren't talking about it. But as I've gotten older, I know that it's my intuition. Yeah. And uh, this whole thing around the body, you know, like who ta- who spends 35 years being obsessed with women being happy in their bodies? I mean, it's like, hello, a little mm. crazy, but um, I wouldn't change it for anything. No. And, and think about how many women you've impacted and uplifted through that dedication, through that obsession. What was more meaningful to you being named Glamour's Woman of the Year or speaking to Congress about eating disorders and the dangers of those? Because they both created a tremendous impact and awareness. Yes, it really, that's a really good question. And I never think of it that way. Um, sometimes it's even when I'm in an elementary school, honestly, and you suddenly see or feel that exchange that I'm speaking about concepts in a very basic way that they're hearing for the first time. Mm-hmm. I mean, man, that is really something. It, it makes me emotional. I yeah. love the accolades. I really do. It's so nice, you know. But when you actually see the shift of energy with kids that might not be hearing the same thing that I'm telling them um, at home and that mom is really, really unhappy and, and or dad has a, an idea of what a woman should look like. And either the child is leaning more on the way the dad looks or the more the way the mom looks. And then they figure out, well, if he's saying that to her or she's saying that about herself, then what about me? So there's all these strange things that are going on. And when I can actually 
have wonderful conversations where the kids feel safe and they know that they're not going to be made fun of. When you can create impact at that stage in their life, I have kids that are in their 30s bump into me in a restaurant or, you know, because I've done all the, the areas around here and I, I just loved it. Loved, loved doing the pro bono work. And they go, you made us such an impact. Mm. That means so much to me. And that yeah. they remember and that they practiced. That it was that one little anchor that said, I am not different. I am like everyone, but my differences is what's making me special. Yeah. That's important. I mean, it's everything. I mean, you talk about legacy and impact, reaching children and changing the way they see themselves and how they are in the world. I mean, it makes me emotional just knowing that you have been doing that and impacting so many. Especially today, we need to really be aware as young parents, please do not get those pads or the the phones and just hand it to your children um, at a young age when you're busy. You know, I know it's really easy. We didn't understand how it right. did and how meant the whistleblower, um, Ms. Hagen from Facebook has exposed so much information that, um, my goodness gracious, we need to listen. And as young new parents or people just about to have children, just do something different with the way that we give our kids devices. Yeah, let's talk about that because that's a big platform for you, social media and anxiety and eating disorders and self-esteem and all of that. Why was that so important for you to cover, you know, with the plethora of everything that else that you that you talk about? It's a wild, wild west. <laughs> right. And when I first started chatting about it, I didn't have all the data and research that we now have in our hands as of the last three weeks. Um, all of us around the world now have incredible data. There is no excuse whatsoever. But before, um, I work with the National Eating Disorders Association, and I've been an ambassador for quite some time. Um, and I have access to the most incredible therapists that have been in the business for over 30 years. I've talked to doctors, and everybody is scratching their heads as to why all of the eating disorder clinics are brim to full with young women, uh, young boys, yep. fathers, brothers, aunts, uncles, everybody are, it's not, you know, it's not gender. It's across the board of severe eating disorders and horrible body dysmorphia um, issues. Sometimes kids have to be homeschooled if they're uh, being bullied and picked on so poorly about their bodies. So there's a, a, a big wake-up call going on and talking about it, communicating about it, getting families perhaps when they're so busy, but getting people together around their dining room table and, and on a regular basis to break bread with one another. Where That's where we grow. Yeah, That's where we can communicate and, and make that a priority at the end of the day. If you can't do it all the time, what days... Can there be when the family can contribute to a dinner and sit and and just be with each other and let these topics come up? So it's always, it's just good to ask, so how's everything going in school? And let everyone give each other the, you know, everyone holds the, the mic and you go around and you, and you at least you share your experience. And sometimes 
there's kids that don't have that opportunity to talk about the bullying. And then there's really unfortunate, uh, horrible circumstances that take place. So creating the space for the emotional nutrients to be communicated about, I think social media is an important topic to bring up. Yeah. So having yeah, these yeah. conversations is important. Do you think it's it's at the point where parents should be taking away phones and taking away tablets? Or is that just too draconian? You know, we're facing a really insidious situation with a social titan where there's no regard for our children, none. This is big business. So I ask the parents really to just sit quietly with no judgment whatsoever and figure out, A, is your son or daughter too young for device and you just didn't know before? Think about what you wanna do and what you might want, want to do quickly. B, if your son or daughter is a teenager, have you, do you have enough family dinners mm. to gently ask questions, ask them if they've seen research? No, no need to think that they won't understand if they're teenagers. They're so savvy and yeah. so smart. They're hooked in. They know. They have the world in their palm if they have a phone. So having real conversations about what do you think accountability looks like in this? Like if we're gonna reduce and we're gonna get us back off the, the, the morphine tick here, honestly. Yeah. How, how, what would look good for you? Let them be empowered to re, on which ways can they reduce their viewership for their mental, social, global health really talk to them, not at them, talk with them, get yourself really informed as to, I have goosebumps telling you this. I do too. Yeah. It's empowering them to make their choices and then holding them in, in esteem and say, you know, I'm, there's not too many things that I've told you that I'm, I'm proud about. I've told you a lot that I've, I'm proud about you on the, the, the sports field. I'm proud about the work that you do at school. I see. But for you to pull yourself off something so addictive and that now you know, now you're the keeper of the knowledge and it's up to you. Obviously, you're going to support them and help guide them to less and less exposure. But look what you're doing for your own mental health. Look what you're doing for um, the betterment of your colleagues and your friends and, and for the, the world. Do you ever think it's too late? Is there a point where, you know, even if your kids are out of the house, they're in their early 20s, they're still dealing with this. This is still heavy and ever-present stuff that we have to kind of get through every single day. Is it ever too late? Can you still have these conversations or is it, you know, they're off on their own now? Liz, um, it is never too late. Because for all of us, it's okay to take a break and recalibrate how we want to use our social media because the power of the purse is in our hand. It's not in anybody else's hand. Right. So if someone is making money off of us at any cost, even our lives, well, 
we got to ask ourselves, how much power do we want to give away? I think the biggest thing probably, you know, standing in the way is that feeling of connection to our peers, of that, you know, connection to the world. Like you said, we have the phone and it is our, it is the world. And, you know, that's often the first thing people do when they get online is they go on Facebook and see what their friends are doing, because we all crave that, that, you know, inter-soul connection with each other, but it's just been morphed into this, this machine, basically. How do we still have that connection that we all crave and that we all want, especially during this pandemic, without getting sucked in? These connections online, how real are these connections online? We, you know, we can, we can pick up the phone and call someone. We can, during these strange times, we can, um, have a couple of friends over for tea or dinner or lunch or have the real connection. Because when we take a look at what everybody's doing on their vacations or we're looking um, at their best of their lives, is that a real connection? I mean, I know with my girlfriends, they know so much about me. I know so much about them. And it is not all when we're looking, you know, hot and with tons of makeup and looking sexy <laughs> and great and empowered. It's like when we are crying in our hands, <laughs> frustrated beyond all hell, and we help each other through it. It might be through tea. It might be through bottles of wine. But, you know, that's, that's connection to me. So we need to ask ourselves especially adults, uh, you know, are these connections online um, helping empower me or are they making me less than? Important questions to ask. And it's great to have the connection. So it's also, once again, we are the, the power of the purse, power of our own pocket and our money in our pocket. How do we want Facebook or Instagram or Twitter? We want, to, we want to ask ourselves, how do we want this medium, whatever it might be? How do we want it to be our personal assistant? Yeah. Yep. Using it, not letting us it use us. Use it. Exactly, Liz. Let us use it the way we have a parameter around it. No one... No, of course, no one's going to say when you start using your, your smart device with social media, buyer beware. I know. No cautions. There were no, you know, be aware of this. So we have to do it ourselves. Informed yep. minds will do certain things differently than non-informed minds. So the more that you get exposure, um, hopefully this, our podcast here today, um, we'll just get some moms and dads and kids thinking about it. That's it. I want, yeah. I want people to think twice about that need to post all the time and respond all the time. There are times I don't even respond. And I, and I'm like, I'm so, so sorry, but I right. just, I just don't. And you, you know, I, I'm not, I can't, I won't be scrolling anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, because it's not just that the knowledge that there is a problem and that there has been a problem. It's the implementation of that knowledge, I think, Actually, that gives people yeah. success. You have to implement it. You have to, like you said, I won't be scrolling. I'll be posting. I'll be responding to this and that. But then that's it, you know, and then you move on with your day. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Okay, so I want to transition. I want to talk about fashion without limits. How has this program changed your life and how has it changed the fashion industry over the years? I think this is so brilliant and so exciting. <laughs> Thank you, Liz. I appreciate it. 
I wanted to, uh, I was thinking about my legacy after I had cancer and I had, you know, I've been, I've been blessed with a very successful career, but what about something in hand, something you can actually feel and touch that can actually live on. And I, I didn't, I'm not, I do not know how to sew. So I'm not a designer. I am more of a design director uh, and if there's a better design director in the room, they're going to lead and I'm going to talk with them. Uh, let's just truth be known. I'm, I'm good at a few things, not a lot. And des- designing clothes is, you know, I have an idea of what I'd like. Okay. So fashion without limits. I was wondering, well, if there's a hundred million women above a size 14 in this country, why are they still having struggles with finding luxury designer, better bridge. And why are they having a hard time finding clothes? And I said, I can keep on talking to the, um, the, the executives within the retail industry, mall, you know, the, the big, big ones. Um, but they're not going to change it. Well, who's going to change this? And I thought education above, above all, um, knowledge is power beacon. I said, well, I guess I got to go back to the design schools and suggest to them about, you know, tell them about the idea of an inclusive beauty, inclusive beauty and fashion um, education. And a lot of the big, big ones on the top 20 were like, no, that, you know, darling, thank you so much. But this is back in 2013. And I thought, how strange you're going to be making so much money. You're going to be teaching these designers an inclusive education. And they were like, why didn't we think about this? Why didn't we do this? Yes, let's do this together. So the first year, if they had um, rotten tomatoes, this <laughs> would have thrown them at me. They, they were not happy in the room. Talk about energy. They were like, what are you doing? Parents were saying, how dare you teach my child how to make clothes for fat women? And, and I hmm. said, just believe if you keep going down this road, I'm going to bring numerous uh, magazine stories and newspaper stories. And um, I was able to take a couple of the young designers that won the Emmy um, Goddess Award, the the fashion award there on their fashion without limit dress or outfit that one, you know, beyond the other um, students, I got to put it into production and they had their own label and their hang tag and fashion without limits hang tag. And they got to have that before they graduated school. Wow. Going forward, um, and it's so, it's simple. It takes a lot to put it together, but the actual action, taking the concept to action, is really not hard. It's It's about proportion, learning what looks right on a double zero, two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 14, 16, all the way up. What's the proportion? Are you going to give a 5'4 woman who might be a size 18 a longer length in her dress just because she's bigger? Or are you going to keep it about the same length or a little, maybe a little shorter? So a lot of times you go into uh, department stores and in the full-figured section, all of the, sh- the, the dresses to the knee are down to the ground. Right. That doesn't make oh, any sense. It really makes me crazy. So this should solve that. And schools around the country and around different parts of the globe where they're into fashion. This is where I'd love to be able to expand fashion without limits and um, slowly but surely we're getting there. 
Yeah, I love that. Talk about an impact. Talk about a legacy. I mean, again, it is something that these women can put on their bodies and feel confident. And again, like go out into the world like you did back in the day when you're talking to Oprah and all these things and feel feel that sense of I am worthy. I can do this. I can do whatever I want. Clothes are what well. I love clothes. I love wearing rocker, you know, moto jackets with lots of zippers and, you know, leather pants sometimes. I love wearing beautiful ball gowns. I love wearing classic, crisp, you know, um, theory-like clothing um, from Universal Standard in 11 on Array. We didn't have that a long time ago. And so women's reflections, if they wanted to be preppy, they wanted to be conservative, they wanted to be, you know, um, modern, whatever it might be, we didn't have choices to get into different moods and, and attitudes reflected through clothes. It was only a moo-moo. I was like, I'm sorry, the value of a body, a soul is in there. Yeah. I'm really sorry if you have a, a, a myth or a belief or something that's built around that a body that's a double zero is more valuable than a body that's a size 24 or above. I said, that's what we have to really truly look at, that all souls are diverse their bodies reflect that. They come in a bouquet of beauty, all hues of colors of skin, and all different uh, body types. And there's three basic body types, and we all fall into those. So I think it's, once again, the power of the purse and corporations that want us to shrink, 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 because it's so hard to do that. Um, they make billions upon billions upon billions of dollars based on a 98 percentage failure rate, which is wow. the industry. Yep. So what are we going to do with the money that we keep on throwing into stuff that's we're trying to buy acceptance? Exercise, like joyful exercise, snowshoeing. You don't do it a lot down in Georgia. Uh, <laughs> Come on up, I'll teach you. <laughs> but swimming and leaping and dancing and walking and getting out to nature and hydrating yourself with good, fresh, wonderful water on a very regular basis. Keep your alcohol to a minimum. You know, have fun, but keep it cool. Um, eat foods that are around the outside of perimeter of your of your supermarket and eat with gusto, with happiness and yeah. joy. Are you going to have dessert every night? No. But is it okay to have dessert every once in a while? Yes. <laughs> I was quoted by the New York Times once back in, I think it was 1997, I was talking to Alex Wichel for an article and I said, a cookie is just a cookie. Get over it. Yeah. And then I feel like your body absorbs the nutrients. I mean, maybe not from a cookie, but like absorbs the nutrients from what you're eating. If you are tuned into the meal, you're giving it gratitude. Like you absorb it so much more and your body can actually use it. Energetically on top yeah. of that, that physical absorption is going on. Absolutely. If you slow it down and you really are intentional with the kinds of foods that you're making, I used to throw away beet greens, just didn't understand them. I didn't, this is years ago, like I'm horrified that I did it. <laughs> but I mean, I, I get into, you know, garden, I don't have a big garden here, but um, I do compost and I do all that. But when a friend has um, an abundance, I'm like, ah, this is so great. And I'll just eat whatever they have and harvest. 
Um, but cutting up beet greens and putting a little garlic and then having something else fabulous on top of that. And when you eat the actual high dense nutrition, your body doesn't, doesn't crave all the sugar and all the carbs and all that. And, um, and there's no reason why we should be cutting out one group of food because it's going to help us lose weight. If we could just get off the scale yeah. and get away from all that thinking and get into the beauty of great food around us and cooking at home. I yeah. mean, we have to dinner is fun. I'm like, it's, thank God. I love so it. So fun. But I love eating home more, yeah, more often, so that when I do go out for dinner and or for lunch or whatever it might be, I want to pick how their kitchen cooks food. Are the cooks happy? I know this sounds really funny, but it is. No, I I fully believe this. (laughs) You will eat somebody's anger, and you know when you you cook and you're not in the right frame of mind, it's like let's start again because I'm cooking for sustenance and I want to be really in a holistic place when I'm cooking food for myself or anybody else. Yeah. Um, That does go into the food. So what's the quality of their oil? What's the quality of their body? If they're going to be using it, you could also say, please no, no butter or whatever. You could do those types of things when you go out. So that it's really fresh and clean, but the joy, there's nothing like having everybody help. And if you're alone, which I am, um, I cook and I make a lot of roast. Like I roast my Brussels sprouts and my greens and all that. And I put it in these refrigerator glasses, put it in the refrigerator. Always have quinoa. I have hummus and different tzatziki and all that. And I make a bowl for lunch. Yeah. It's oh, it's brilliant. For myself. Yeah. Baked potatoes, uh, baked sweet potatoes, cut them in half, throw stuff in. When you take good care of yourself, once again, you put the oxygen mask on yourself. Yes, absolutely. And the kids absolutely. will eat what you're eating. Oh, yeah. And especially if you've got them in the kitchen with you, helping even just chop something up and throw it in, like that's their job. But then they're more excited to eat the meal with you and, and have the conversations at dinner. Like it could just completely changes everything. And it all starts, I think, with the mom or the dad's energy, you know, in the house when they're, when, when they're thinking about these things. Absolutely. Yeah. Like letting them stir it. So I I know one time um, my daughter was wanting to bake and we used that big KitchenAid. uh, Sorry, it it was white and everything. So I forgot to lock it down. (laughs) A ton of flour in it. And I had somebody coming over just a little bit. So I wanted to get the, the batter going. So we turned it on and it flew everywhere on my eyelashes. all over the movie. <laughs> And it was all on the ledges and everything. It was just like a oh whole mist of white and ding dong. And I, <laughs> do I try and get everything off of me or do I just let it be a part of the story? So I opened up the door and they were like, what? I don't, don't even ask, just come in and we'll explain it. You'll see what just happened. This so. is a new beauty treatment. You just haven't heard about it yet. <laughs> oh man, we have covered so much ground. Um, to, to take us out of this of this talk, what do you want the listener to really bring home? I mean, there's been so many moments where you were like speaking such truth, but if there were one thing that you could condense down, what do you want her to remember? Forgive yourself that you're not perfect, please. Please. Please be gentle with yourself and you're learning, you know, you're on a journey to learn 
And it's, it's almost like the parameter is how did that sentence or that disciplinary moment feel? How did that moment of joy feel? How did, how are you doing on a regular basis instead of just going so fast and just trying to do for others all the time, just moments throughout your day. How do you feel? How is this going for you? Because when you can give that to yourself and you slow it down for you and you get that glass of water when you're really thirsty, you're putting that mask on your, on your own self, like you're in the airplane and everyone gets so much more through a goddess that's happy and that's taking care of herself. The forgiveness part, forget trying to be the perfect mom. There's no perfect mom. If you just pulled back the curtain, especially get off Instagram, if you're looking at the moms that are juggling their kids and then they're, they're, you know, the kids are happily eating and they're (laughs) not, you know, pulling off their diaper and smearing stuff all over the place or they're not drawing on the walls. I mean, you're not seeing that that's Mm -hmm. happening. I'm sorry. Go for joy and go for happiness. Go for it. Just stop doing the perfectionist mode. You're going to run yourself down and and there's no need for it. This life is meant to be enjoyed. And, And so what if the house isn't completely perfectly put together and it's a little dirty? Are the kids happy? Are you feeling good? Ask those questions to yourself. And that's when you look back and those memories, you can actually pull yourself into the present moment mm-hmm. um, without thinking, oh, I didn't do this in the past, right? Or, oh, I better do this so that I'm seen this way going forward. Present moment is the most important moment that we can get. That's all that we have. Beautifully said, beautifully said. And we talked about modeling. And I think that you are the perfect person to be modeling those sentiments and those those feelings. And that comes across in this conversation and beyond. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for the work that you do. Liz, thank you for, for reflecting the work that you're doing in here today and the work that I've been doing. Thank you very much for this opportunity. You have been listening to the Motherhood Unstressed Podcast. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast.